This is Science 2034. 20 years ago, the Science Coalition was formed to strengthen federal support for basic scientific and engineering research. We tell the stories of what federally funded research has made possible and what will be reality 20 years from now. Our guest today, Mary Gearing, an assistant professor of biology at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Professor Gearing contributed to a report released in April of 2015 by MIT entitled The Future Postponed, Why Declining Investment in Basic Research Threatens a U.S. Innovation Deficit. Mary, you authored the essay on plant sciences for this report. Tell me, what are the implications for America's declining investment in plant sciences? Well, I think the implications are pretty serious, and what it, it gets down to is is really, you know, our basic needs as as human beings. So, um, you know, if you think about what people need at a very basic level, obviously, uh, you know, things come to mind like like shelter, clean water, and food. And and food is incredibly important to all of us. Um, and right now, we're really benefiting from um, technologies that that uh, really came, you know, came about in the in the 1960s or even earlier, um, and so what we need to do is really keep um, keep investing in basic research in plant biology, so that as our as our population grows, uh, you know, in this country and also uh, globally, as potentially to the environment and how much land is actually available for. For agriculture, really the message is, is that there is basic understanding of plants that we still don't have, uh, and then we need to be able to, to take that understanding and apply it uh, to, to crops that we eat. We are thinking about yields of crops, but really that's what helps sustain uh, the world's population through food uh, issues when we grew from somewhere around three to mm-hmm. five billion people. As you point out in this article, by 2040, we are expected to have a global population that's nearing 9 billion people. Um, mm-hmm. Not a great deal more land available to put into production in an agricultural sense. And so the science surrounding plants and how we mm-hmm. get greater yields is increasingly more important. I want you to focus for us about what it means for the United States of America, our leadership in the world, um, where do we see a pullback in investment? Is it everywhere across this this uh, area of science? Well, I think there has been. I mean, it, just in general, there has been underinvestment in uh, uh, plant biology research compared to research, for example, um, in animal systems or things that that people think are are more directly relevant to human health. My personal opinion is that you know, as we all depend on food, that's very very relevant to human health. But so there's there's always been sort of a um, a lesser investment uh, in in research that could potentially be applied to agriculture in this country. But um, as we've seen cuts um, uh, across federal agencies in funding, uh, that has of course affected uh, plant biology as well, which was already working with a with a fairly constrained budget. One of the big issues is um, uh, in a push for for really. Um, you know, uh, doing applied science, 
which of course is is wonderful and has its place, we can sometimes forget that that a lot of discoveries come from basic fundamental research or investigator-driven initiatives. And so some of the funding that's available um, for plant biology, particularly from uh, um, organizations like the USDA, that's actually very restricted. Um, and so there's a lot of restrictions on sort of what organism you can be working in, uh, what types of questions you can be a- asking. And so there's really restrictions that, that you have to have to be working in something that is, is currently a, a major crop in the U.S. And so what that does is, is it leaves behind um, all these wonderful tools that we have developed in what we call model systems um, where we can, we can really do, in many cases, experimentally much more than we can in a crop system. And it's been shown again and again that, um, that discoveries made sort of at a, at a very fundamental or basic research level uh, can ultimately be, be applied um, to other plant systems as well, some of which are plants that we eat. Indeed. So we're talking about work at a genetic, a molecular, a cellular, and even a biochemical level. Can you give folks listening uh, some examples of how we have had discoveries that are leading to major steps forward and how uh, we raise the food supply on a worldwide basis? Yeah, I mean, I think right now some of the most exciting things um, are coming out of these new genome editing technologies or genome manipulation technologies um, as as really a new tool to very uh, precisely manipulate genomes. So in the case study, I talk about um, one discovery that was made um, um, actually at the at the University of California Davis in in um, uh, the lab of Simon Chan, and what he discovered was that um, you can, if you manipulate a protein that's, in, that's involved in proper segregation of the chromosome. So he was just studying how do chromosomes, which contain all of our genes. Um, so he was working on this in a plant, in, the, in a model plant called Arabidopsis thaliana. Um, and he was just wanted to understand how um, chromosomes properly um, segregate um, after uh, after fertilization. So when an organism is developing, you get half your chromosomes from your mother and half your chromosomes from your father. And the same thing happens in plants. Um, and what, what he discovered really by accident was that if you modified this particular protein, um, the, the plants were normal, but then when you took that plant and combined it with a plant that had an unmodified protein, uh, you lost uh, one copy of the chromosome. So this is a very uh, sort of interesting result uh, in terms of understanding something about chromosome segregation. But the really exciting thing is that you can apply this um, to other systems and develop plants that um, essentially have a very uniform genome. And uh, the reason that that is so exciting is because we know in a lot of plants that, um, for example, corn, um, uh, if, you take, if you take two different corn strains, these are called inbred lines, and uh, they, so if they're, well, I don't want to get into too much details here, um, but if you, if you take those inbred lines and you cross them together, what you get is a progeny plant that is much has 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 um, traits that are far superior to either of its parents. With this new system uh, that was discovered from this basic research on chromosome segregation in Arabidopsis, which is not a plant that anyone eats, you just do research in it, um, 
the there's really good evidence that this can now be applied to other plants and you could make other plants more like maize where you take two inbred lines, cross them and get a, a progeny plant that um, has higher yield, is generally more resistant um, to stresses. And so that that's a nice illustration of something where you start with a question that is really unrelated to, you know, um, crops or food, a question about basic mechanisms in plant biology, and, and you get out something that's potentially really amazing. In the 1990s, there, there was this um, very devastating um, disease called papaya ring spot virus, uh, which, um, so papaya is grown um, uh, in Hawaii as a very important crop uh, uh, there. And, and this virus, this plant virus, was wiping out almost all of the papaya in Hawaii and was also affecting uh, papaya grown in Asia as well. And it turns out that, that um, earlier people had been um, trying to come up with ways, so earlier in the 1980s people had been trying to come up with ways um, to combat this disease. And what they discovered is you could make basically sort of make a vaccine for the um, uh, papaya uh, where you introduce into the papaya a small piece uh, of the virus, just like when we get a flu vaccine, we actually get a, a small piece of, of the flu virus. Um, and so you introduce this portion uh, of the virus into the bacteria, or, sorry, into the papaya, and uh, then the papaya is resistant to that uh, papaya ring spot virus. And so this was really, I mean, this is why we still you know, can eat papaya grown in Hawaii because of this technology. Um, and so, again, this was actually when, when this was developed, um, the exact mechanism of how this worked wasn't fully understood. It was just, you know, realized, wow, we have a papaya that's now resistant to this virus. Uh, and since that time, through research, um, both in papaya, but primarily in other organisms, uh, basic science research, we now understand that this is through a phenomenon called RNA silencing, which is a really um, um, interesting phenomenon where RNAs um, can target viruses um, if they have homology to a sequence of the virus and lead to their degradation. So plants have these really amazing um, defense systems endogenously that they can use to combat viruses. And so in this case, um, with developing this papaya resistant to this virus, it was just taking advantage of that endogenous defense system that already existed in the plant and telling the plant, target this. We're talking uh, today about what happens to American leadership and the future of science when it is not funded properly and the deficit in innovation that can occur. One of the things that I'm hoping you'll shed some light on is the fact that there are many other countries who are taking this specific area of science incredibly seriously and are beginning to lead on it, including China. Mm -hmm. Our investment in um, plant science research has um, stagnated or decreased. The opposite has happened in, in China. Um, and um, there have been very large um, investments in um, research uh, related to both basic and applied plant biology in China. And that's really reflected in um, sort of the shift that you can see just in terms of papers that are published in these areas, um, you know, over the last um, uh, two decades, there's really been a shift from this work primarily being done in U.S. labs and, and European labs um, to, to um, work done uh, in Chinese labs. Uh, and so if you just look at the plant cell, which is um, the top plant biology journal that's 
published by the American Society of Plant Biologists, uh, they recently um, had a statistic that now 70% of their papers are actually from non-U.S. labs. And this is really um, a big shift. Um, that journal has only been around, um, I think, since the 80s. And, and in that time, there's been this enormous shift just in the quantity, you know, the, the really high-quality research um, is is not just coming out of uh, U.S. labs. And uh, that's likely directly related to the the monetary investments that China has made um, in basic uh, plant biology research. So we know that uh, advanced genome editing tools and the science around it is, is essentially still in its infancy. We, we've established how it can be practically uh, applied and have a huge impact on sustaining uh, mm-hmm. crops and even the development of future crops that uh, can be stressed to great degrees and still have higher yields, how people think about, as a scientist and a mentor at MIT, what the implications are for the United States. This science, it seems, is going to happen no matter what. Um, Are we not in a position to enjoy the benefits of science conducted elsewhere? How does this make the U.S. less competitive, and do you see a, a, a serious implication for this deficit? Yeah, you know, I, I think we um, tend to think of ourselves now as, you know, we're just one global society. But, you know, I'm sitting in Kendall Square right now and uh, and surrounded in a stone, you know, a stone's throw to, to dozens of biotech companies. And why are those biotech companies all here in Kendall Square? That's because MIT is here uh, and, and Harvard is not far away. And so I really think there is a benefit to doing this research in the U.S. because we benefit directly, um, not only um, from the results of that research, but from from all of the things that grow up around that, um, uh, those discoveries like new companies, employing new people. Um, and so I think it's our benefit to, to have access to as much um, really intellectual property as possible you know, I'm not talking about in terms of patents, et cetera, but really as, as much of that intellectual capital as possible. I do think uh, there, there are still many aspects to, to science um, uh, that, are, that are really local. And, you know, that's why you see like these biotech hubs at, in Boston and San Francisco, because those are the places that are generating knowledge. And um, I think it would be a huge, huge detriment if the U.S. is no longer the place that generates the knowledge. I'm wondering what you can share with us in terms of uh, being heard by policymakers in Washington and helping even agencies like the USDA to understand how funding uh, to support the kind of research at a basic level mm-hmm. uh, that's required to keep America competitive and leading the globe. Is that getting through? Do people appreciate it? Or is there uh, a basic... Uh, feeling that practical research yeah. or practical implementation of uh, of science is, is better served with this funding and not the basic research. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it, it's hard. I think the the onus is both on on scientists, um, you know, to communicate uh, better um, uh, why this type of research is important. So we can't just complain, well, we're not getting funded for this. You know, we really need to make the effort um, uh, to actually uh, try talking to people, um, um, 
in in politics and in government uh, about these these sorts of issues. And I think you know that obviously is the motivation for this um, innovation deficit report. Um, so I I do you know I have found just in my limited interactions um, with uh, members of the government that they are actually quite open um, to to learning about. Uh, what goes on in a laboratory, and usually people do get pretty excited um, by by this type of research. Um, and so I think it's uh, making those connections um, are really, really uh, important. Um, so I will say that, you know, I have hope that they're, they're, that things will get better, um, but it has to be, a, you know, it has to be an effort. Um, from scientists communicating with government and vice versa. I think I think government is willing to listen in many cases, um, but also scientists um, communicating with the public as well. Because if it's just scientists saying, "Oh, we need more money for this," well, you know, we have some self-interest here. But um, the the um, you know we also need to be able to get the public engaged and excited about these these types of endeavors um, so that they communicate um, to, you know, their representatives uh, that this is something that's actually important. You know, we here at Science 2034 have, have really latched on to this MIT report, The Future Postponed. Mm-hmm. What was your sense in looking through uh, the report beyond the, the area that you reported on? Uh, is, is, is it something that you were not surprised to see so many other areas of science singing the same song, so to speak? Uh, it clearly mm-hmm. seems that this is an effort in, in the kind of communication with government and other stakeholders that, that you think is so important to do. Yeah, I actually, you know, in putting this report together and being in the room with all the other authors, um, it was really exciting. You know, I, I learned so much about these other areas of science. Um, and, you know, I came away like, I came away so excited that it really seems we are on the cusp in many fields. Um, we're on the cusp of, of really exciting breakthroughs. And the investment that would be needed in many cases is, is really rather small. Um, uh, and so I wasn't surprised, you know, that, that other fields um, were experiencing this. Um, but overall, I was you know, I, my, what I mostly took away is, wow, there's a lot of really great science going on. And, um, you know, it, it, it wouldn't take that much um, to, to take it to the next level. And so hopefully, um, you know, convincing people that it's a relatively small investment for what you potentially get in payoff um, will be something we can do.